This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand on the air. Welcome to Headscarves and Good Yarns with me, Amal Abdullahi. The show is all about talking about race, diversity, and everything in between, all in the hopes of empowering a more empathetic Aotearoa. We talk about all these huge life things through the lens of people's lives and stories. I hope every yarn you take a wee gem from it and expands your heart and mind just a wee bit more. Kia ora, alaikum. Welcome to another episode of Headscarves and Good Yarns. Um, thank you so much for tuning in. Funny story before we get started with this episode. I actually already recorded this um, korero earlier today and have completely lost the file and I have no idea what happened, how that happened, um, but it happened and here I am again re-recording. But actually this is better. A, you don't have to hear my morning voice and it literally, it sounds like I've been my vocal cords have been dragged through the bush when I wake up in the morning so actually maybe this is more pleasant hearing and you know as we always say we just say alhamdulillah for everything and just kind of move on so I'm saying alhamdulillah I'm sure there's some kind of um, unknown silver lining out there that I may not ever know about but we're going to say alhamdulillah and then just um keep moving and um, for me engage in this corridor again Um, but actually it's a really important one so I am more than happy to uh, re-record this and for those who are like Amal can you please tell me what alhamdulillah means it's it's basically um, you know like thank you God Um, us Muslims we say it all the time for everything everything is alhamdulillah Um, because gratitude is a huge uh, value in our practice. Um, so alhamdulillah that I'm re-recording. <laughs> alhamdulillah. And um, before I really get into the topic today, I just want to um, provide a, a space to just give you a heads up and say, you know, we are talking about... Um, the Buffalo terrorist attack and we'll be referring to the Christchurch terrorist attack and in general this conversation is quite heavy and so I totally understand if you digest this episode and listen to it bits at a time and and come back to it when it suits you because uh, we'll be navigating um, terrorism and white supremacy and they are really heavy things to talk about and you know I particularly want to say that not that you have to be of color to be grieving that is not what I'm implying at all but you know what I've noticed in my time and in my experience is that you know if you are from communities where those communities have been targeted in attacks like this this is heavy this is it's a lot of pain and it's a lot of hurt because you know it isn't you today it could be you tomorrow but it's still your people you know and there's a lot of pain and there's a a, a lot of hurt and grief 
involved and so I I also understand if you take this episode really really slow um, and and taking it slow doesn't take away from its importance because we need to be courageous enough to have this conversation um, it needs to this conversation needs to happen otherwise nothing will change right the first step of ever trying to bring about change is scoping out what the problem is sketching it out um, figuring out what stories we tell ourselves um, and having that sense of positionality right like where do I as an individual fit on all of this and where does my participation in the system fit etc and so on but you know you need to kind of acknowledge and and have this conversation of what well, we have this problem to begin with um, and so I, I want to preface this episode by acknowledging that and I also I, I want to read out the names of the victims in this terrorist attack because when we are engaging in corridor like this I think sometimes we forget that we're not just unpacking ideologies you know it this has a direct effect on people and you know because of a particular ideology these people won't be able to go home to their family and to their friends and it's sometimes I feel like when you really get involved in the race space or, or you know when we're talking about diversity and inclusion it's so easy to get you know engaged with the theories and the and the language and the understanding and that is really really important but when when tragedies like this happen people always come first and so I want to read out the names of the victims of the Buffalo terrorist attack so on May the 14th this year a mass shooting happened in Buffalo New York at a supermarket um, in the Kingsley neighborhood which is in the eastern city uh, eastern side of the city 10 people were killed, all of whom were black, and three others were injured. The shooter live-streamed the attack on Twitch, and the accused is an 18-year-old Peyton Gendron, who is now in custody and charged with first-degree murder. And I just want to read the names of the victims um, because when we have heavy conversations like this I think we need to remember the people who were directly impacted and the people whose lives were taken and when we engage with corridor like this people always come first um, Ruth Whitfield 86 Roberta Drury 32 Aaron Salter, 55. Hayward Patterson, 67. Pearl Young, 77. Geraldine Talley, 62. Celestine Cheney, 65. Catherine Massey, 72. 
Margus Morrison, 52. Andre McNeil, 53. Um, my All my aroha and my condolences to the victims' families and friends. And may we never forget and may we be brave enough to dismantle and unpack um, white supremacy and I think beginning with people just oh as I'm saying this I even feel the lump in my throat but beginning this corridor I think we the way we engage with black people not just in Aotearoa now I'm just talking about on a global scale there is this dehumanization this minimization this erasure of black lives and this terrorist attack is most definitely not an isolated incident but just part of the web of anti-black hatred that we as a society as a system that we uphold we there are a lot of black lives that are are lost and i think as a society we've gotten to the point we've we've just become so desensitized to it and it's normalized which hurts me surprises me but also it doesn't surprise me at the same time because we as a society have a tolerance that is so low and allows these actions to happen I think and this is me just personally speaking from my own experience, like I have been discriminated against, have had awful things said to me, have been told to um, go back home and I have been accused of stealing, I have been othered, I have been underestimated, like I have been made invisible. Um, and it's the same system that allows, you know, this the spectrum that I have experienced to the other end of the spectrum where someone can easily access a gun and think that they are doing something right. Um, which absolutely blows my mind. So following kind of similar pattern like... Um, other terrorist attacks, um, the accused or the shooter behind the Buffalo shooting uh, wrote a manifesto. And in this manifesto, he described himself as a white supremacist, as an ethno-nationalist. And if you're kind of like me, because I, you know, for me, I'm, I'm learning kind of these terms as I go because... I know enough because I've experienced enough and I am kind of still learning these terms and so it was new for me as well. So if you're listening in and you're like, well, what is ethno? 
what's an ethno-nationalist, it's a form of um, nationalism, so like loyalty to your country, whether um, the identity of that nation, the nationality is defer- uh, defined Sorry, in terms of ethnicity. And um, that when I read that definition or I, I wanted to seek further clarification on that, I was like, it, that makes a lot of sense because if you, like in my experience, I've definitely been othered and for such a long time I really felt so uncomfortable saying that I am also a Kiwi person because I felt like I had no right to say that. Um, so yeah, nationality defined by ethnicity and so that means you're either in or you're out right because if you don't have particular features then how can you be part of that country um and this person was motivated um to commit violence in the name of these ideologists and then with also within this manifesto, um, he also expressed support for the great replacement theory. Um, and it's a theory, a white nationalist um, conspiracy theory that that um, elite the elite white population is being replaced by non-white peoples, particularly um, those from Islamic countries and they're being replaced through migration um, and demographic growth and um, you know that sounds really ridiculous and it sounds really out there but when you actually think about it it really isn't like you know the I just now I'm just th- thinking of uh, when we were as a country when we were talking about increasing our refugee quota um, and those same kind of sentiments they came up um, those same kind of sentiments come up all the time when I'm actually in every in a lot of very different situations that same feeling has come up of well hey you're here but you're taking our jobs our houses our money our everything um you're taking it all you do not belong here and um you know this attack attack is um is domestic terrorism let's call it for what it is um so that's why i'm calling it the buffalo terrorist shooting or terrorist attack um, because it is a form of domestic terrorism this tragedy was racially motivated um, and in response to the this terrorist shooting governor kathy hochel has promised policy changes within the state as a result of this attack um, and so whether or not this actually happens, I suppose time will only tell. Um, but when tragedies like this happen, I think there is this huge wave, wave sorry, of shock that comes through. But actually for people who belong to minority communities, it is not a shock at all. And, you know, the things that I've described of you know what's happened to me they are very mild compared to you know a a 
a shooting but they all kind of come from the same roots and if we live in a society where someone people can think like that not even just this person behind the buffalo terrorist attack but if we live in a society where people can be enabled and affirmed in those beliefs then if we uh, as a society we let people think it absolutely it's not a wild um shock or fantasy to think that a small minority of that group will actually act on it um because we have tolerated it we have enabled it so i'm not sitting in shock or disbelief um it's definitely anger and grief and disappointment and it's a lot of emotions to carry and I'm just not exactly sure to put it like am I putting it towards the the media who um, affirm these stereotypes and play a huge role in implicit anti-black um, racism uh, am I angry at the history that is never acknowledged and and never spoken about am i angry at our governments for not changing the policy um am i angry at people who um come to people of color with their their shock and their condolences and their grief but then when the shock goes away and life kind of goes back to normal, um, engage in actions and beliefs that uphold those very same systems that allowed an event like this to happen to begin with. Um, and when I say, and I just want to acknowledge that I know that my history isn't the African-American history, but I'm just talking about black lives in general right now. Um, there is a huge erasure of, of black lives. And now I'm just specifically talking about Aotearoa, but it's um, really interesting. You know, uh, black people make up 0.3% of the New Zealand population from memory and we and and even that will be a diverse that 0.3% will be very very diverse um yet our exposure to black culture is very like sensationalized it is um, urban and contemporary and cool and and we will happily engage with that um i'll never forget when i went to a like a, a rap concert and there were so many white people just using the n-word and i i struggled to say that word but there were so many people who were just a-okay uh <laughs> using that word which absolutely absolutely blows my mind so you know we are really really happy to consume and that is 
a-okay with us but we won't engage with the cultural appropriation we won't engage with the anti-blackness we won't engage with the whiteness or the white supremacy um and that absolutely blows my mind and one thing to note from the buffalo um terrorist shooting is that there was a there was a link to to the uh, Christchurch terrorist attack um, within the manifesto um, the shooter was talking about you know how he was inspired by the Christchurch terrorist attack and wanted to continue the work um, of the shooter behind the Christchurch terrorist attack and I think that has left a lot of people in New Zealand very uneasy and I've definitely seen in person but also in the online space um, how people have tried to distance themselves from that um, and as I was saying before you know when tragedies like this happen it's not an isolation it's all part of this web and um, and if something that happened in America has a link to to Aotearoa, it makes me think that we, instead of looking um, what's happening overseas and being like, oh, like that's not us, that's not our culture, that's not our values, actually we should be examining what's happening in our own backyards a little bit more and being like, well, if there is that connection there, is there something that we need to talk about at home? And the answer is a big yes. Um, and I kind of want to um, unpack the history of white supremacy here in Aotearoa and kind of paint the picture a little bit more because it is part of our history, it is part of our now and if we don't dismantle white supremacy, if we don't dismantle racism then we will never be able to make um, any kind of change at all. Um, and so as I said before the Buffalo terrorist shootings were live streamed and New Zealand has made quick moves to ban that live stream video and the manifesto that was um, published but unfortunately the survivors from the Christchurch terrorist attack are currently being re-traumatized by the footage which has been sent to them anonymously online um, and it's actually quite concerning and it's a huge red flag if material from a, a terrorist attack overseas is being able to spread around New Zealand. Um, again it's that sense of I mean, even if we don't say no, the fact that we're enabling by allowing this material um, to be distributed. Um, but I'm glad that systemically New Zealand has already made moves to ban um, any distribution or to possess this material. Um, it is illegal. Um, it is illegal. Um, and that makes makes me um, f 
feel like we're kind of making steps in the right direction because there is this um, disturbing trend for terrorists, especially white supremacist um, terrorists, to kind of publish these um, kind of material to then, you know, to use it as a call to bring other people in and to follow their lead. And and so to hear that this material has been sent to victims and survivors of the Christchurch terrorist attack is really, really disturbing. Um, And I think we really need to be quite critical of social media, um, and particularly social media companies, who allow, or actually not even allow, rather doesn't stop people from using their platforms to spread their really disturbing and hate-fueled ideologies. And it's also been affirming that people have been reporting um, these materials online to the authorities um and and that's amazing to hear because we are now lowering that that tolerance line right we are not allowing any kind of breeding room for these materials um but every single time someone reports it or says no and another reason why i think it's it particularly worrying that these materials have made it to New Zealand is that we, I think we're living in a really strange time in the sense of material just being easily distributed and accessed online. Now that we're kind of living in the pandemic, we're living in an era where earlier this year we had a huge protest um, against the vaccine mandates. And I'm not here to talk about if, about the vaccine mandates and whether people were right or wrong or whatever. Um, and that's not what I'm here for. But one thing that I disturbingly did notice during that time and even now was that that co-papa was kind of hijacked by a lot of different other co-papas as well. And there was a lot of right-wing extremist um, ideologies that were just seeped, steeped, sorry, in white supremacy that was also being spread on the same platforms. And when you combine that with um, that sense of anti-establishment, anti-authoritarian um, vibes that are going around, I think it's a potentially really dangerous combination because you know, if this co-papa is being hijacked by other co-papas and then you have a a group of people who already don't trust the government and kind of moving, who are kind of living on the fringes of society, I think there is a sense of vulnerability there. Uh, Doctor, I was reading this article on The Guardian um, and Dr. Sanjana Hatotua, Hatotua, sorry if I said that incorrectly, um, 
they do research in this space and so they study disinformation and fringe online communities um, for the Te Punaha Matatini Research Centre um, and it kind of have been watching how this material from the Buffalo terrorist attack has been spreading within uh, within New Zealand, within the groups that they already monitor and so um, Dr. Sanjana was saying that it's really hard to track the true number of people who have viewed the material um, but that what's happened as of late or since the since March the 15th is that there has been a huge increase in platforms and systems for this misinformation to spread so as I was saying before that you know these anti-vaccine groups factions co-puppers have been mixing with uh, far right and Q anon groups and and so these new conspiratorial and very very extreme communities um, have been growing since you know since the pandemic and um, and since you know this material has reached New Zealand groups there have been several accounts that have opened um, and have been very um, expressive about the fact that they are there to spread this video and to spread this information and as I was saying before about vulnerable people Dr Sanjana um, has concerns the same concerns as well that you know because it's so easy for this information to spread that it could go to audiences who are really receptive and vulnerable to that radicalization um, and also I Dr. Sanjana makes this really, really um, important point that I, I want to um, quote, which is, it doesn't glorify it, but it, also, it doesn't also push back on it. It normalizes the violence as something that is inevitable, which is terrifying, which is absolutely terrifying. It's going back to that, well, okay, even if we don't, um, actively push it or we don't actively agree with it even if there isn't a like active participation there's no active forms to stop it happening and so because we just allow it to happen it normalizes it it keeps growing it it enables it um, and we become desensitized to it and think that it's okay and that it's normal when it really is something that we should be working together to unpack and dismantle. And if you look back of the, look back at the history of white supremacy in Aotearoa, you kind of understand how it's just been allowed to keep growing and growing. And living in Aotearoa, you can say that you know this first encounter with white supremacy um, here in Aotearoa is when if you just look at our colonial history um, there is a huge sense of um, white supremacy there because 
you know, now we have the language um, for it, and it's we call it the doctrine of um, discovery. But this um, doctrine, doctrine, doctrine. I'm just going to say doctrine. I'm sure if someone's tuning in and if I'm saying it wrong, please let me know. <laughs> I definitely pronounce things sometimes in a really weird way, but this doctrine of discovery basically enabled any white Christian person to go into any non-white, non-Christian country and claim the land on the right that it was discovered. Um, which, and I think I spoke about this before on my um, on my decolonizing wellness episode, but something isn't discovered just because it hasn't been in your sphere before. Um, you know, before New Zealand um, was colonized, there was thriving culture, tangata whenua, living on their land. Um, and because of this doctrine of discovery, it was all taken away. And so, you know, our history our colonial history is kind of the beginning of this history of white racism and um sorry of white supremacy slash racism and by the way if you're tuning in and you're like okay well what is the the difference between white supremacy and racism i think racism or white supremacy is like a particular and specific form of um, racism where white supremacy is birthed from anti-blackness, right? It's a specific um, specific kind of racism uh, towards not just black people, but it's kind of come from this sense of anti-blackness and believing that um, white is right and white is the best. And if you um, do not belong in this identity, if you do not look like you belong in this identity, then you are not one of us and you are on the other side. Um, And this sense of othering is really prominent in our history Um, and if we think back to so we have the history of um, you know of colonialism the brunt of colonial racism and this forced selling and confiscation of of land and you know the land wars and then the suppression of culture and language and this forced assimilation um, and it's something that um, Tangata Whenua is still living with um, and hurting from to this day and then the sense of othering again in the 19th and early 20th centuries with our um, fledging Chinese and Indian communities um, if you think if you look back at the history there were even in the policy, um, it was incredibly racist, and you know there was a huge sense of othering again, and then again with our Jewish community, again with our Pacific peoples. You know, we're thinking back to the Dawn Raids, which actually wasn't even that long ago, um, and then when we had changes to our immigration policy, and so. Um, 
and then we saw this new wave of targeting uh, our Asian brothers and sisters and then as of late our Muslim community and um, so there's been this huge sense of othering that's a part of our history time and time again um, and to be honest the the data isn't fully captured because um, we do not record we didn't we don't have a true record of our hate crime data here in Aotearoa um, and there definitely are lots of white supremacist groups that have started here in Aotearoa um, for example in 2009 which only 10 years ago um, founded by um, oh, Chapman sorry I don't have the first name but this group uh, is called right wing resistance and um, they had this public face of you know celebrating white European culture and having street patrols to protect the public um, and a fight club for fitness and a survive club for paintball and camping um, but now it's recently been coming out through archive posts that there was this there was something else going on behind closed doors that does not match the public face and so you know, members of that group believe that white people are superior, um, Māori are dumb, Asians are not to be trusted, and Muslims, oh, we get a shout-out, particularly Somalis, are here to take over New Zealand, um, torture our pet, uh, pets, and um, they used Aryan symbols, um, and this group... Um, and started off in Christchurch, inspired other cities around Aotearoa to start their own groups and even overseas. And there are lots of other groups like that in New Zealand. Um, at the moment, there is estimated to be about 60 to 70 groups and somewhere between 150 and 300 core um, and loud and proud right-wing activists here in Aotearoa and it doesn't sound like a huge amount right if, especially if you compare it to a country like Germany where there's estimated to be 12,000 to 13,000 um, violent far-right activists but if you think about population size it's actually quite proportionate and the numbers are quite similar so it's very scary because yeah as I said before the numbers don't sound like a lot but all it takes is just one person to act out their very extreme views and if we're allowing people to think like this it's not a huge step to then act on it as well especially when we don't have policies and systems where you know these right-wing extremists are scrutinized the same way that a you know a muslim person is um and so even though it brings up a lot of unease when we kind of think about the connection between the buffalo terrorist attack and the christchurch terrorist attack because people are very very quick to say well this isn't our culture um this isn't who we are um and then i kind of beg the question well well 
okay, if this isn't our culture, what kind of people are involved in your culture? Because there, there's a huge list of why we can't distance ourselves. We can't distance ourselves because of our colonial history, that people are othered. Cultural appropriation is life. Um, is rife, sorry. I misread my notes. Um, the stereotypes and the stories that we carry um, about Māori, Pacifica migrants and refugees um, because of the fact that there has been violence in the name of white supremacy that has happened on this land. Um, because whenever, whenever any terrorist attack committed by a Muslim person happens, apology, which I don't even need to say, spills out of my mouth. Um, you know the list goes on and on and on about why we can't distance ourselves um but the same extreme violent acts that we like to distance ourselves from the same roots are here in New Zealand and it really it gets under my skin when people try to distance themselves from the shooter behind the Christchurch terrorist attack because yes it's true that um he grew up in Australia um, but it, we still have those same roots and those same problems and it's not until we kind of tackle that sense of othering that we have here in Aotearoa um, we will never be able to bring about change because we can't acknowledge that there actually is a problem to begin with. It's absolutely on all of us to be courageous enough and honest enough um, to shed our armour, to shed our defensiveness and to have a real corridor about this. Um, and one thing that I, I just want to talk about, because I know that this will come up, maybe not if you're tuning into this, because I feel like people who listen to this show are pretty um, progressive, but I know someone, someone out there will be thinking this, and when people... And distancing the Christchurch terrorist attack from here, you know, by saying, well, it was Australian who came offshore. Um, you know, they didn't even spend that much time in Aotearoa before they came here. How was that any different to a Muslim person distancing themselves from 9-11? Like, how was that literally any different? And I suppose that's true in the sense that when I think about any, not just 9-11, but any terrorist attack, um, you know, organised and committed by Muslim people, I do, because that really is not our religion. That is, if you, I mean, everyone is going to have their own interpretation of Islam and you know my version of Islam is really different to you know the next person it's we're not a homogenous community but I think the difference here is that when you when you look at the religion purely no that really is not us but just like anything else in life you don't live life just purely from a religious point of view people have their lived experiences there's um political agenda economic agenda um it gets mixed up on in history and events and all these other types of things and 
and you know as i've said on the show before when you are part of a minority group you do not have the privilege of you know kind of acknowledging the nuances acknowledging the context thinking about things for or taking things for what they are what they could be the 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 diversity and there will be some muslims who have interpreted islam in such a way that it leads them to those kind of actions um but that isn't if you look at the religion purely from itself no the way that people talk about islam you know with such ignorances as if we're all indoctrinated to think the same just because this is what the religion preaches but no the religion does not preach that at all and like many other things um in this world it has been caught up in so much that unfortunately this is like this can be reality but it isn't us and when we're going back to the Australian Kiwi thing when we we try to distance ourselves the thing is it actually is part of New Zealand it is part of New Zealand and if you think that this is not our culture this is not us then you have a lot of privilege and and that sounds really harsh and forward saying it like that but it is true if if you cannot see or haven't heard or do not understand or cannot conceive that Aotearoa can be a racist place then you're really sitting in your privilege right now and you know when i say that the burden is on all of us we absolutely cannot distance ourselves we cannot distance ourselves because of our colonial history um this land was already inhabited by um tangata whenua and then pakiha people came over here and literally took land um from tangata whenua and forced cultural assimilation and where to this day the history hasn't really been acknowledged we do not interact with it um and i know that there are a lot more conversations happening right now but we have a very violent colonial history um that is affecting the present day um in every sense um and people are also othered in Aotearoa in every sense uh cultural appropriation is rife we carry particular stories about tangata whenua our pacific peoples migrants and refugees um i and this is just me speaking for myself i cannot tell you how much i've been stereotyped um underestimated discriminated against literally ignored <laughs> um as if i'm just completely invisible um because i wear the hijab and i have a darker skin tone um and 
this is not just me you know there are a lot of people out there who are also in the same boat of being discriminated against marginalized um made invisible not having the world reflect you know our wants and needs um there has been violence on this land in the name of white supremacy in the name of colonization uh, we cannot distance ourselves because when a pandemic happened our asian brothers and sisters were discriminated against um we cannot distance ourselves because whenever any terrorist attack committed by a muslim person happened an apology which i didn't even need to say just spilled out of my mouth yet when hate crimes against muslims or targeting muslims here in aotearoa happened fell on deaf ears um there are and this list could go on and on and on there are so many reasons why we cannot distance ourselves but kind of going back to the point about how is it any different to a muslim person distancing themselves from 9-11 as well we actually can't distance ourselves because it does happen in Aotearoa and even though it's a very extreme form what happened on March the 15th and you know what happened in Buffalo the seeds of it the watered down versions of it the roots of it um, are very much alive in Aotearoa and so when we try to distance ourselves we think we are saying that it isn't a problem when it absolutely is a problem and in fact to even like have the ability to distance yourself and then for society to kind of accept that is privilege within itself because as I was um saying before those who do come from a minority group are not afforded to have to just be right there's one story and you can only exist in a particular way if you're from this um if you're from this community but if you have the privilege and you are of the majority then you have that privilege for your story to be told to have that context to be humanized um like as i'm saying this i'm just the thing that's popping up in my mind is um just thinking about the difference in media coverage um for the terrorists behind the crash um, terrorist attack and other terrorist attacks it's always um if it's committed by um you know a person of color or by a muslim person the the headlines are always you know you know black person did this muslim person did this but i'm thinking back to the coverage the media coverage when march the 15th happened and it was um you know man who grew up in australia blah 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 like i don't care <laughs> he like this person has been afforded to be have that context and that nuance and so if we can acknowledge that that this man grew up in australia and then had his time overseas and was radicalized and then came to new zealand um why is that 
same space not given to other minority groups. Um, so I think those are the, the two key differences, right? The fact that from a purely religious point of view, Islam does not preach anything like that at all. But in this case, we do have the same roots that we try to distance ourselves from. Those same roots exist in Aotearoa. And also, if we're going to... We cannot distance ourselves when the Christchurch terrorist um, terrorist has the um, privilege to have his story fully told and for that context to be given. Um, absolutely, that's literally sitting in that privilege to be able to hear that and then to still be like, yep, that's not us. Um, okay, I feel like I'm starting to ramble just a little bit, but just to wrap up on this episode, you know, for those who do try to distance um, from the Christchurch terrorists and also, you know, what's happening overseas. Um, and they say, you know, it's like that person grew up in Australia. That's not who we are. That's not our culture. Then the question that I ask is, well, who is involved in your culture, right? Like what is the New Zealand culture? Because you know, from what I see, what I experience, what I live in, what I lean into, it's very much part of our culture. And if you think it isn't, I would love to then ask you, you know, who is part of your culture? Um, what history is part of the culture you think that it is because it is clear as day and night. It is clear as day and night that it is part of our culture. Um, and on that note, I'm going to wrap up this episode. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in. Um, I always really appreciate it when people sit with the things that I talk about and particularly this episode um, because it was really, really heavy and we kind of unpacked a lot of things. But um, I hope that now you'll engage with um, anti-blackness, uh, white supremacy, racism, hate, the erasure of blackness here in Aotearoa and think about, well, okay, what does it look like for me to help dismantle this? Because we will all have our different ways of engaging with this corridor and creating that change and there's no right way to do it. Um, we all... As long as it's genuine and it speaks to who we are, what we can contribute, um, what we want to get involved with. Um, but I hope that after listening to this episode that, you know, number one, that you know that, you know, there is a history of white supremacy in Aotearoa, um, not just the, the microaggressions, it's not just the the more casual spectrum of racism but actually we we have roots of white supremacy here in Aotearoa and um, 
These roots, they're hurting everyone involved. Absolutely everyone involved. And I just want to quickly acknowledge that I think we're in a unique situation living in Aotearoa because, you know, the indigenous peoples of this land, the first people of this land, um, are absolutely not being honoured. And I think me as a migrant woman, I see, like, I'm, we're kind of going through it, but then we look to our tangata whenua and we're like, well, we're kind of, we're not in the same boat because they are different struggles, but there is a sense of solidarity there. And so I, I want to acknowledge that, you know, there are lots of fights, but we're kind of being choked by the same roots of white supremacy. And so it's on all of us to be involved in this conversation. Um, and I think I'll leave it there. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Headscarfs and Good Yarns. To keep spinning the yarns, let us know your thoughts. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Headscarfs and Good Yarns or email us at headscarfsandgoodyarn at gmail.com. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.